This is the Rebel HR Podcast, the podcast about all things innovation in the people space. I'm Kyle Rode. Let's start the show. Welcome back, Rebel HR listeners. Extremely excited for this week's show. With us, we have Trisha Montalvo, Tim. She is the author of the book that is available now where books are sold, Embrace the, Embrace the Power of You, Owning Your Identity at Work. Trisha, welcome to the show. Hi, Kyle. Thanks for having me. Well, we are extremely excited to have you on the show. And I think today's topic is a really, really important one and a timely one for us HR professionals to hear. So the first question that I have for you, as I have for all of the authors on my show, is what motivated you to put in the time, energy, and in some cases, heartburn to write a book about owning your identity at work? Uh, that's such a great question, and I like how you said heartburn because um, <laughs> my book, um, not only for all authors, is an incredible uh, amount of time and effort, but um, in my book is very vulnerable and tell a lot about my personal story. So there was a lot of unpacking and healing, and as my developmental editor said, um, the first draft was the, the healing draft. So uh, let's see. Let me tell you a little bit about myself professionally and personally. Professionally, um, I've been working in high tech for over 25 years um, as a general counsel, outside lawyer, uh, working with large, big companies to multinational companies to small startups and everything in between. Um, but on the personal side, uh, I am the daughter of two immigrants. My mother is from El Salvador and my father is from Ecuador. And um, they, I grew up in Los Angeles, California, and they wanted, like many immigrants, uh, the American dream for our family. And at an early age, they moved out of the city into the suburbs and all of a sudden found myself as um, the only in my community. I was the you know only or one of the few Latino families in a predominantly white community. And you know they had suffered from, from discrimination themselves and wanted a different life for me. And they encouraged me out of you know love to downplay, downplay where we came from, downplay, uh, and, and just assimilate and belong. And that was really that generation's, uh, uh, you know, uh, goal was to assimilate. And so I did, and I did that through school, law school and my career. And so the book is really about that journey and the cost of assimilation, because what happens is when you hide or downplay any part of yourself, whether it's your you know, race, your religion, sexual orientation, learning disability, mental health conditions, all of these things that we don't want others to know about. Um, we're not bringing a really critical piece of who we are uh, to the workplace. And that's not only physically and emotionally exhausting for the person who's hiding, um, but it's also a sad consequence for our workplace because we need all those lived experiences um, in the workplace. So um, so the book is really uh, my way of telling my story to normalize what that might feel like for people and, and provide strategies uh, to get on the other side of that journey. Absolutely. And, I, you know, I think it's, it's, it's fascinating to hear, uh, you know, that, that context. Um, and, and I think it's important for many of us to hear, especially those of us that, you know, are, don't have that that lived experience and, 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 you know, don't, don't have that context. Um, 
you know, I, I, I think it's been also been interesting to see in the workplace. There's been you know, a little bit of a tidal wave of, of, of employers being asked to embrace the, the differences that their mm-hmm. teams have and to, and to allow people to bring their, you know, their authentic selves, uh, to work it in your experience and in your context, as you, as you look at some of the, this, this changing, uh, expectation as it relates to our workplaces, uh, it, is it, is it happening fast enough or, or are there other things that we need to be thinking about and other, other tactics that we need to really focus on in human resources to really embrace this and allow people mm-hmm. to truly be themselves in the workplace? Mm-hmm. I don't think it's happening fast enough. And that's just the challenge with DEI work. You know, when I, um, at my last job, I was head of DEI and, um, you know, there's always a group of people that said we're doing things too fast. And another group of people that were saying we're doing things too slow, uh, and you know, and and we moved somewhere in the middle. Um, but I, you know, what I think is, you know, companies were uh, there was a lot of pressure to diversify the workplace, and so there have been a lot of efforts around that from corporations to increase diversity. Uh, but the challenge is when you then bring in diverse uh, employees into the workplace. How are they going to feel there? Um, and that's where the inclusivity and belonging piece is so important. And, uh, you know, one of the benefits I have of kind of sitting in both spaces of sort of the C-suite space or dominant space and also the space of um, people of color, women of color, is when I'm in the spaces of people of color, you know, they are burnt out. They're, you know, it is incredibly hard to try to fit in and try to, um, you know, uh, bring their authentic selves to the workplace. And so they are trying to do a lot of their work uh, to try to survive in this environment with very few playbooks or mentors or, um, you know, all of the, the tools uh, needed to succeed. Uh, and there's not that same urgency, I would say, um, at leadership from trying to create that inclusive workplace. Um, really, the pressure is just to diversify and so I think where I think there's an urgency is how do we retain um, our very talented, diverse workforce? Because you see, a, a, you know, a lot of people deciding to leave workplaces that don't create that environment. Absolutely. You know, and I, and I think it's, it's interesting to, to, to reflect on that because, and I think many Many HR professionals would agree that much of the work that we have done has been fairly reactive. And it's been, you know, hey, you know, hey, even down to the numbers we track, like, you know, what is the percent of diverse candidates that we hire? Mm-hmm. Right. It's, mm-hmm. it's, I think it's a little bit more rare to see an organization that says, what are diversity statistics in our turnover metrics? Right. Yeah. And, and, mm-hmm. and, Truly on answering the honest question, why, why are these individuals leaving? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and is there a common thread and is there truly a root cause? Because the reality is when you really start to unpack, you might not like the answers right. that you get. Right. And I, I, yeah. think, mm-hmm. I think sometimes we have to confront those, mm-hmm. those harsh truths. Um, yeah. 
And those statistics, I think, are really critical for companies during, you know, exit interviews, really asking those hard questions and reflecting and um, and, and tracking that, uh, as well as promotions. You know, how are we doing in promoting uh, people? What what does that metric look like? Um, so there's there's a lot that, that can be tracked there for sure. Absolutely. And I, so and I think, you know, I, from my perspective, this is something that that leaders own. Human resources owns, you know, th- there has to be some ownership in the leadership team and in the management team, and especially in human resources that, you know, this, this stuff matters, right? This is, this is really what matters. You know, as, as you reflect on the personal experience of somebody that mm-hmm. is, you know, coming from a point of being, uh, you know, being at the other in the room was, was the terminology that, mm-hmm. that you used before we hit record. Um, what, why is it so important? for every individual to truly be able to own their identity at work? A couple of different reasons. One is, you know, studies show that uh, people who bring their authentic selves to the workplace um, are going to be happier. Um, they're going to be, you know, thriving in their professions and you're going to retain uh, your employees. So uh, I think that is important um, just in, in terms of retaining and also having fulfilling careers. Um, but also, I think what is also important is our, you know, our society is diverse. Uh, we are all, we come from different lived experiences. And if we are asking our employees to come in and uh, not bring their authentic self to work or not create spaces uh, that that are inclusive, then you're lacking that perspective, that unique perspective in designing and marketing different products to people. You see the lack of diversity in media. You see the lack of product design. You see the lack of, um, you know, when you do search terms, for example, on Google. And now look at AI. You know, what is AI going to be doing and how is, you know, what what are they, uh, what is that technology um, grabbing um, that's going to then produce the next, you know, information. So, uh, you know, I think, for example, and me, I'm a Latina, you know, the, the Latino market is uh, the fastest growing demographic market in the country. Uh, I think there's a $2.8 trillion of buying power. And I think the GDP of the Latino community is, I, I want to say it's the fourth or, if it was on a GDP basis, the fourth or fifth largest in the world. Um, yet we're not creating or designing products to address that market. And part of it is because we just don't have any Latinos in, in leadership. Um, there have only been two female Latina CEOs. Um, we are less than 2% in the boardroom, less than 1% in the C-suite. And so that lack of voice uh, to uh, provide the ideas and um, innovation that can produce actually re- you know, results um, for companies is lacking. And so... Um, I think it's important that we encourage all, you know, people from all different perspectives um, to to be comfortable voicing um, their ideas, voicing who they are, bringing those perspectives so we can address all, you know, all communities. Absolutely. Yeah, I, you know, I think it's, well, first of all, let's, let's start. There's only two Latina CEOs. Fortune like, 500 company. Fortune yeah. 500. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's that's shocking. Yeah, it is shocking. 
Yeah. <laughs> you hear these statistics. Well, and if you think, you know, the statistics are crazy. And I do, I'm doing some now venture investing. And um, for Latina entrepreneurs, the, uh, the amount of capital or the amount of capital they're receiving is 0.2% and venture capital money goes to Latino entrepreneurs and they're getting zero funding. Um, so it's just, yeah, it, I mean, they're, they're, the statistics are shocking. Uh, so. Wow. Yeah. You know, I, I think it's, it's, it's important to be honest with ourselves about that. Right. Because there, there, that's a problem. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think the, the other thing that, um, that I think is really important First of all, I think the business case for for you know authenticity, diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. Yeah. If you just Google it, you can find there's there's so many validated studies that it's just good good business. But yeah. at the end of the day, it's also just the right thing to do, yeah. right? And so it's like you know, there's very few things in this world where you're like, well, this is a this is a really good money making opportunity. Oh, by the way, it's the decent and right thing to do <laughs> as a society. Yeah. So I kind of, yeah. I struggle with individuals that, that maybe, you know, don't understand why we should do this, you know, it, on yeah. a broader level. Um, it, it, so what, what's your perspective on that? I mean, what, yeah. why are we in, in 2023 still struggling with such an underrepresentation in, in senior leadership position? Another, a number of different reasons. I think that there's this concept of a pie. And that, you know, we're afraid that our slice of the pie will get smaller if we mm. give more slices of the pie to others. Um, and I think that changing that mindset to that there is enough pie for everybody, um, that we can all succeed uh, together. Um, and in fact, we do better when we all succeed uh, together. So I think there's just this scarcity mindset. Um, that is a challenge when you say, why, you know, why do people just not understand? Like, this is just a great thing. And I think it's because there's a scarcity of a, um, there's, if I give over here, it's going to take away from me. And so I think we need to change that mindset. In terms of getting into leadership, I mean, I think it's just a, um, it's a very systematic uh, challenge that starts from, you know, grade school, you know, I mean, I think it's, you know, the images and, and um, expectations we have um, for our kids um, as they progress through school, um, the challenges that, you know, many people of color face in society, uh, and uh, the lack of sponsorship and mentorship. You know, when, when there's only two female Latina CEOs, um, where are the emerging Latina leaders going to get their advice from? You know, there's, um, we have to encourage um, others to uh, support and mentor people that are different from them so that our people of color have mentors and sponsors. Because um, there's a lot that happens organically. And I've seen it throughout my career. You know, when I was going up through the ranks, um, it was so hard for me because I, I found, you know, my, my male colleagues were playing golf and, you know, having the happy hours that uh, I wasn't having. And, you know, that's where relationships build, networks build, um, advice uh, gets flown, you know, uh, flowed down. And so I had to go figure it out on my own. And so there's just all these little things, very micro, you know, events that happen as you go through the, the corporate ladder um, that make it very hard if you, you know, um, don't have all of that support along the way. So I, I just do believe in 
a community and, and ERGs and mentorship and all of those things really matter in supporting somebody. Absolutely. And I, you know, I think, you know, from my standpoint, I hear that and I, and I, and you use the word that I, that I tend to use as well, which is, you know, it, it's systematic, right? There's a systemic issue with that statistic. Mm-hmm. Um, because if you look at the demographics of our population, that statistic should not be that statistic, right? So, right. so, so the system is working as it's designed to work. Mm-hmm. And the individuals that oversee that system, i.e. HR professionals and senior leaders need to confront that head on and change the system. Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, and, and so it's one thing to talk about it. And, you know, to, I guarantee you that everybody listening to this podcast, <laughs> we're, we're pretty cultivated. We probably all agree with that statement, right? And, yeah. and you know, we're inherently here to kind of disrupt systems and make things, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, better. Uh, sometimes you have to break it to fix it again, right? But but I think yeah. I think one of the challenges and what's interesting with your book is that that you you really you also need to be reflective enough with yourself before you can do that as well, right? Like you need to yeah. um, you need to put your oxygen mask on yeah. first, right? Yeah. So yeah. so as we are thinking about ourselves as HR professionals, and we and we and we are aligned, we need to go out and we need to help others embrace their own uh, power and their own identity, what are some things that we can do personally to make sure that we are prepared to be authentic to ourselves and to truly stay mm-hmm. focused on our own uh, individual uh, vision and, and, and individual power? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, it is a journey. And I, and the, I like, Kyle, what you said about self-reflection. And I have lots of moments in the book where I ask very self, they're called self-reflection moments, uh, so that people can really consider uh, how they're showing up in the workplace. And a lot, you know, I was unconsciously really downplaying who I was, not only as a Latina, but as a working mother. You know, when I started my career 25 years ago, um, I was in an all-male toxic environment and I had no women in leadership and, you know, I had nursed my baby in the parking garage because I didn't have a place to to nurse her and I, and I downplayed being a mother. And so, you know, what are the things that we are doing because we think it's the only way to make it um, in the corporate environment? Uh, what are the things that we're not bringing to the workplace? And, 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 you know, and some of those things that we're doing, we kind of have to do, uh, you know, based on the environment, that's the only way it's going to, you know, and, and you may be the full bread breadwinner and may have to do that. Uh, but you know, what are the things that you can change today or make a plan to change in the next 12 months or, you know, next couple of years um, so that you can bring more of yourself to the workplace and really unpacking, um, you know, what those things are and what you're trying to adapt to uh, and how can you uh, change that? Because I'll tell you that when you get on the other side of that and you let go of the fears um, and you show up authentically, it's not only a gift to you, but it's a gift to everybody around you. And I think, you know, I think you asked at the beginning of the podcast, why did I write this book? Um, it was more because I, I coming up, the, coming up in the ranks did not see a Latina leader. I mean, I told you the statistics, they're just not any. Um, and I didn't realize that by me not showing up visibly, unabashedly visibly as a Latina, that what a disservice that was to all the other Latinas 
that are trying to make it and see no role models. And so showing up authentically is a role, you are a role model to the next generation who doesn't see anyone like you. Um, No matter what, you know, again, it doesn't have to be race. It can be any, you know, normalizing mental health. Um, You know, that is someone, something that many people struggle with and and we need to be honest um, about that struggle. So uh, yeah, I think self-reflection is the key. Yeah, I think that's really well said. And, and, um, you know, I, this is an audio only format, but, but when you started talking about assimilation and you mentioned this earlier, but I'll be, you know, I, to me, it brought me right back to, to corporate, you know, corporate one-on-one, like right out of, right out of school, like pretty quickly in certain cultures, you figure out you have to assimilate in order to move ahead. Right. Yeah. I mean, there are mm-hmm. there are many organizations that are like that. And if, if you don't, if you haven't experienced that, uh, it, it's still happening. It's probably just uh, subconsciously. Yeah. <laughs> but but yeah. but I, I think you know, I, I would argue that our, our, our workplaces are 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 seeing people fight against that now that yeah. that those cultures where you have to you have to conform uh, tend to tend to uh, n- not be embraced uh, by by people. And, and the other argument that I would say is those cultures are risky because you are missing out on an entirely, yeah. uh, extremely talented uh, mm-hmm. group of individuals that, mm-hmm. that just won't work for you. And, yeah. and, and so it's yeah. like, I think it's such a terrible business strategy as well yeah. as just not a great place to work. So. So yeah. for, for somebody that's in that culture right now, and I, I hope there's not many of our listeners that are there, but I guarantee <laughs> you there's still some things, there's still some 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 cultures and, and some subcultures within our organizations where I guarantee that this this still exists. What are some things that, that you would recommend that leaders and human resources uh, practitioners need to do to try to kind of break this up and, and, and yeah. start to... to to enact some of this culture change where, you know, this, this, this drive to assimilate uh, becomes much more inclusive of mm-hmm. individuals' uh, differences. Mm-hmm. And I think what you said there, Kyle, was important where you said people, qualified, highly talented people won't stay. And I think that, you know, from a business perspective, um, that's right on point. And I think a lot of things are happening right now. There's, um, Generation Z, you know, I've got a daughter who's 20 years old and let me tell you, they, they want to work, um, you know, in their own terms. Uh, and if we're not ready for that, uh, you know, we're going to be behind the ball. Um, we have, uh, the diverse workforce that is wanting to be, um, seen. And so, and then we have post COVID, right? People got used to working remotely and, and the flexibility. And so if we as leaders are not listening to all of that, we're going to, I think those organizations are going to be behind. And so inclusivity, I think, is more important than it's ever been um, for us. So, you know, for HR leaders, you know, I think, you know, one, one important thing, I think there's, there's, you have to tackle it two different ways. You know, one, and you mentioned earlier, is this is not just an HR responsibility. Um, this, is a, this is a leadership responsibility. And it really has to start at the top. Uh, and I think really finding ways to 
um, talk with our C-suite executives about this is a, um, a responsibility for all C-suite um, executives to bring into the organizations and make it a strategic priority um, is important because, you know, you know, just HR doing it by itself is not going to be able to move the needle. It needs to have buy-in from everybody. So working with leaders and trying to get that buy-in is really critical. Um, so that's at the top. Bottoms up, you know, manager training. I mean, it, you know, the most, uh, most contact employees have is with their manager. And so you could be doing all the right things from a leadership perspective and trying to set the culture. Uh, but if your direct manager is not valuing your work, is not making you feel seen, isn't giving you the flexibility you need, isn't giving you the space to process recent, you know, anti-Semitism that's happening, for example. Like, if you're not feeling seen and heard from your manager, um, you're going you're, you're gonna to leave because that's, you know, that's the person that's making you um, feel comfortable in your workplace. So I think uh, manager training, um, you know, one of the specific strategies I include in my book is, you know, when you are having meetings, for example, and you have diverse perspectives in the room, don't make it the responsibility of that person to always be bringing up the, the unique point of view, uh, because that makes it very hard to be always the one raising your hand. So instead, as a manager, you could say, okay, when you see a conversation going, everyone's kind of going in one direction, challenging the group and saying, okay, what it, I want to hear the opposite of what we're all suggesting. What would, what would that look like? How can we, let's think outside the box. Let's, let's imagine if we did it differently. What does that look like? That's the opinion I want to hear. And now everyone is challenged with giving a diverse point of view. And that person who's always having to raise their hand with a different perspective isn't alone in that. Yeah, I love that. And I think that's a, you know, that's something that, um, first of all, it's just a great question to ask, right? Like, yeah, that's a value added question that somebody should, should be asking. And, and, you know, to that point, you know, honestly, I hadn't really even considered that context that, you know, if, if somebody who is, you know, has a different perspective or have, has a different context or different background. Uh, and they're always the one sharing that perspective. That's got to be exhausting. At a certain oh, it's exhausting. Well, and then they give up, right? And that's what happens. Right. You know, you just like, especially if that idea is continuously being dismissed, then you're like, mm-hmm. okay, I'm just, I'm exhausted. And, and obviously my opinion isn't being valued and, or, or the, you know, the organization isn't ready to, to hear it. So, uh, yeah, that's a piece of the creating inclusive environment. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I think, um, you know, it, it, our listeners, our community, we like challenging the status quo, you know, obviously <laughs> yeah. for obvious reasons. I mean, that's why we're listening to something with Rebel in the title. Uh, but, but, but it's not always easy. And I think, I think it's also, it can be challenging to kind of keep the, you know, keep that spirit, you know, especially when people, when it's, when it is always a point of conflict or it's, or, or it falls on deaf ears. And so, so what, what, what tips do you have? And I know there's a lot of tips in the book here, um, but but what are some tips that that we can use to kind of keep ourselves motivated and make sure that we don't fall into this this negative self talk and and kind of mm-hmm. just kind of lose our steam on uh, mm-hmm. on driving some of these positive changes? Yeah, you know, I think one is intention, and a lot of times, and I've seen this through organizations. There's a 
a desire for diversity. There's a desire for uh, inclusivity, uh, but it doesn't happen without real specific intention. So have, being very intentional, creating um, very specific plans, um, not only annually, quarterly, monthly, uh, to encourage and, and, and move the needle forward um, in all of the various DI objectives. I think, you know, without intention, um, we're not going to really make progress. Um, the second is getting comfortable being uncomfortable. You know, I think that when you are part of a dominant group or majority, um, you're not used to being uncomfortable. Um, and that's one, you know, big thing that I've seen in different, again, being in both spaces. Um, you know, if you are part of a, um, if you are an other, um, you're very used to being uncomfortable. You've always been uncomfortable. You're the, you know, the only one in the room. You're the other. And so that's not a, an unusual place to be. But some of these topics are challenging for people. It makes them uncomfortable and they don't want to feel uncomfortable. So um, I think normalizing that, yeah, you know, maybe these conversations and topics are uncomfortable, but they're important and moving through that feeling um, is really the way to, to make progress. Absolutely. And I think, I, you know, I, I think it can be, it can be challenging sometimes, but, but going back to, you know, really embracing the power of you, you know, it, I think about like, what's the consequence of us not doing that? Right. Yeah. Or, or if it's yeah. not, if not us, then who? <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, like, yeah. like, let's, let's just be honest about, you know, about where, where some of this change can happen. Yeah. Um, well, and allyship to your point, you know, Kyle is, is allyship is huge. You know, yeah. uh, as yeah. somebody who, uh, has, it, and I always talk about this also being sort of a relay race. Um, it, if you're the one that is marginalized, uh, and you are coming in and fighting that fight every day, eventually you get to the point where you're, you just can't keep going. It's exhausting. So I encourage those people to pass the baton to the next person and take a break because you can't keep going. So you pass the baton and someone else runs the next lap. Um, mm -hmm. But for allies, it is so critical because for those moments where the underrepresented or marginalized just can't you know, bring in, fight the fight the next time or, or interrupt to that bias or that microaggression that everyone kind of laughs at or, or um, you, you know, as allies, that is a huge amount of power. So it's not only embracing the power of you as the other, but embracing the power of allyship. Um, you have a huge opportunity to really make a difference by using your voice and your power and your privilege to interrupt bias, to um, state the obvious to challenge um, and to be rebels, as you say, um, it's really, really powerful. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, you know, that that's one of those areas where, um, you know, I think like my call to action for all the HR professionals here, where, where, where we can be allies, where we can take the baton um, in, in, in support um, in, in whatever shape that takes you know that's that's mm -hmm. an area that that i passionately would passionately believe should be a core function of of, of what we do in our organizations and mm -hmm. we should hold others accountable to do that as well and, mm -hmm. and i think that's truly where where some of the change happens with that being said trisha this has been an 
absolutely wonderful conversation. I'm going to uh, encourage all of our listeners to go out. Again, the book is Embracing, Embrace the Power of You, Owning Your Identity at Work, available where books are sold. There's uh, just just a, a, an amazing amount of wonderful content uh, to help you and to help your organization uh, thrive. So uh, with that being said, we're going to shift gears. We're going to go into okay. the Rebel HR Flash Round. Are you ready? <laughs> okay. Yes, I am. Thanks, Kyle. All right. No pressure. No pressure. Okay. All right. Question number one. Where does HR need to rebel? Oh, HR can rebel um, by by uh, saying the hard thing, right? I think we talked about allyship, but um, oftentimes it's uh, it's easy to go along with the crowd and not rock the boat. And um, I think stating the obvious and and calling it out, uh, I think really the, the HR function uh, can really be a support organization um, for many people that are uh, struggling to belong. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. I, I typically don't uh, comment on the flash round questions, but I, I do want to make a comment here. You know, I, I think this, this conversation has been really important. And for me, it's one of the more important conversations that we need to have as HR professionals within an organization, because the reality is in some organizations, human resources actually being authentic is rebelling. I agree. Yeah. And and so I would just tack onto that and, and BH be authentic yourself, HR professionals. Like that's, I think that can cause a very positive ripple in your organization as well. Yeah. Yeah. Very good point. (laughs) And if you want to figure out how to do that, go pick up the book. There you go. Uh, We'll have the link in the show notes. There you go. We'll, we'll we'll tie a, tie a bow on it. All right. (laughs) Question number two. Who should we be listening to? You know, a lot of my journey started with Brene Brown. And I will say, you know, her TED Talk on vulnerability um, really shifted the way I uh, viewed myself. It gave me um, the courage to uh, reflect on who I'm bringing into the world and, um, and the power of uh, vulnerability as leaders. Uh, you know, I, I think it all ties in. You know, the core message of my book is belonging begins with self-acceptance. And until you can uh, really believe in who you are, um, you're not going to get that sense of belonging in the workplace. And that all begins with um, just kind of unpacking uh, yourself and your journey. So I love I love all of Brene Brown's books and podcasts, and I, I've listened to them all. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. You know, there's, there, it's all wonderful work. I'm a little bit ashamed to admit I, I was like late to the party. Like I didn't start, I didn't read the book until, or, or some of the books until just a few years ago. So I yeah. could, I could not agree more and, and, um, very, very powerful and, and very power, powerful mm-hmm. personal story, you know, that, that's yeah. shared very authentically as yeah. well. Right. So yeah. great. Yeah. Like a case study on why this is important. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. All right, last question. So uh, absolutely wonderful conversation. I guarantee you that, that our listeners are going to want to connect with you and, and learn more. So how can our listeners reach out and uh, get their hands on the book and, and uh, connect with you? Yeah, you can find me at trishatim.com, T-R-I-C-I-A-T-I-M-M.com. Uh, and my website there. And I'm on LinkedIn and Instagram. And uh, so you can, you can find me there as well. Absolutely. And uh, we will have all that information in the show notes. Open up your podcast player uh, and, uh, and and I would encourage you to, to get connected and, and check out the book. Trisha, 
It's been an absolutely wonderful conversation. Thank you for investing the time and energy to put this uh, this content out there and for spending uh, a couple minutes with, with us today. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks. All right, that does it for the Rebel HR podcast. Big thank you to our guests. Follow us on Facebook at Rebel HR Podcast, Twitter at Rebel HR Guy, or see our website at rebelhumanresources.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rebel HR Podcast are those of the authors and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of any of the organizations that we represent. No animals were harmed during the filming of this podcast. Maybe.